Hello, my fellow sovereigns. Oh, I am so excited to be here on the Crown Yourself podcast with my guest, Cami Travis Groves. Cami is a transformational coach like moi, and I love bringing on people who do similar work. A, because it's not competition, there is an abundance of clients for everyone out there. And B, because maybe I've said something in some way that landed-ish, but didn't fully land. And maybe someone else who does similar work, but has a maybe a different toolbox of tools or uses different colors to paint with your transformation, maybe they will help unlock it for you. I like to think of breakthroughs, especially with self-limiting beliefs, as like, a safe. So you have locked away some belief system. It's deeply unconscious. It's buried in a safe somewhere. And if it's a, you know, surface kind of limiting belief, you, you it's like a piggy bank. You just unscrew the bottom and suddenly out comes all the beliefs and you're like, oh, there it is. But if it's a really like Fort Knox worthy safe, like and it's a Fort Knox worthy like core belief it's going to take a few turns of a dial to get to that breakthrough. And so maybe you hear it on one podcast and you're like, okay, it turned the knob one way. Maybe you heard it on this podcast and it, it turns the dial again. And maybe you hear it from Cami, which is, it's the same thing, but it's a little different and it comes with a different background and a different toolkit and a different strategy and it just unlocks it for you. And that is my goal beyond anything. And what I love about Cami is that she comes from a graphic design background. Her voice to me, like being on this interview, I just, it felt like a warm hug the whole time. She's just so beautifully relaxed. And she and I come from very similar backgrounds and had very similar experiences growing up. We're both Enneagram 8s. We love to challenge, and we do challenge our clients. She is the founder of The Freelance CEO, and she is a good juju spreader. And I believe that everything happens within divine timing. And this episode was recorded, I kid you not, a year ago. And we found it in the backlogs of our Dropbox. (laughs) And I'd been looking for it, and it just hadn't shown up somewhere like we have some pretty sturdy processes but it was it was not there and then suddenly we discovered it and it was there bringing us some good juju and so I know that maybe it's you maybe it's another listener but maybe it's you who needs this level and this style of good juju in your life to help you transform to your next level And with that, I give you Cammie Travis-Groves. Welcome to the Crown Yourself Podcast, where together we build your empire and transform your subconscious stories about what's possible for your business, body, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com 
and I'm a master mindset coach, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, known to my clients as a game changer. Each week, you get the conscious leadership strategies you need to help you reign with courage, clarity, and confidence so that you too can make the income and impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your royal invitation to step into your full potential and reign in your divine purpose. Your sovereignty starts here and your reign is now. I am so honored to be here with you today and with some good juju from Cammy. <laughs> so Cammy, I'd love to dive in. What does what is good juju? How do we bring that to our businesses? Good juju is I like to explain it is another word for love. And a lot of people think, oh, love, love has no pace in business. But good juju and love are interchangeable. And good juju absolutely has a place in business because what do you think has the highest ROI, love or fear? (laughs) It's going to be love. Love definitely has a way higher ROI, like 10x. (laughs) And then some, yes. And then some. So as a coach with your clients, because you work specifically with a lot of creatives Mm -hmm. and you do transformational work that is awesome and that I've been blessed to to experience in a way on your podcast by being interviewed by you and and you and I share similar ideas around transformation. What is the transformation process when going from building a business from fear, scarcity, running away from what you don't want into translating, transforming it into good juju? Mm, Great question. So often we believe that we are logical, rational beings and we have bouts of emotion that we need to control when in fact we are highly emotional beings and we have small bouts of logic and reason and, and rationale. And when we understand that that is actually our strength and not our weakness, then we can tap into that. The best advertising, for example, taps into emotion. Decision-making process of the five triggers, three of them are based in emotion. So understanding that if we really want to pull on those emotional heartstrings, the best way to do it is through love. We are motivated toward love, right? And as we're moving throughout our day, we could be on autopilot and be thinking, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do this, or notice those thoughts because you can't really change what you can't see. Notice those thoughts and think, hmm, does that thought actually serve me? Or is there a way I can spin it, the way I could reframe it, a way I can look at my life or my situation or my business differently that would then serve me? So instead of, I gotta, I get to. Instead of, I've got to figure out some way to pay, make payroll this week. How might I? How might I takes all the pressure off? How might I allows you the space to experiment? And what if instead of thinking of your business as, I gotta do this and I gotta, I gotta succeed, I gotta do this. What if it's viewed as an experiment? It takes all the weight off. It takes the idea that it has to be perfect the right the first time, has to be just right. All that pressure comes off and you start to see possibilities you never saw before. So there is a there's a great uh, window of opportunity that opens as you move away from a fixed mindset or a 
scarcity mindset, which is focusing on everything you don't have, into an abundance mindset or a growth mindset that's based in love. It's based in good juju. I think to touch on that piece of emotion, since emotions can be so consuming, and I regularly say feelings trump thinking like every time. (laughs) (laughs) They are emotional creatures. They are emotional creatures first. And so in theory and in practice, with the practice of shifting from, you know, how might into how might I instead of I've got to, when you're in that fear based state of like, how might I pay payroll or how might I, you know, manifest the next, you know, $2,000 that I actually need to fulfill my present circumstances and responsibilities of rent or whatever? How do we navigate through those, that perception of reality? Mm hmm that is stimulating all of those fear-based emotions and that attachment to that those circumstance of like but no you don't understand my my rent is literally due next week and i need two thousand dollars how do how do we detach from that and move into that abundance mindset when we're being consumed by those emotions so how do you practice or how do you do anything that you want to get better at since you practice how do you how do you learn how to drive a car? Well, the first thing you got to do is get behind the wheel and then you start, you, you've, you've got to start somewhere. And at first your brain is going to say, no, 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 this isn't the way we think we have to, oh my God, we've got to find that money. We've got to find it. Well, why can't you create it? The creating of it is a new thought. Your brain is going to resist because your brain likes to do things on repeat and is really good at conserving energy. So, practice those things practice thinking and it's gonna you know at some point it's gonna be too late like yeah you've got a week but can you how might you create two thousand dollars i remember when when i was going through the creative high growth program which is the 100 day program that that changed my life that and i am now licensed to teach Woohoo! i was at a financial low I had zero dollars in the bank and I knew the following week that my insurance was going to pull and my internet bill was going to pull from my account. And I had zero dollars, got a notification from the bank that my balance was zero. And I thought, oh my God, what the hell am I going to do? And about that time, my mentor who was guiding us through this work said, this week we're going to approach glad giving. And I thought, I've never heard of glad giving. He said, you're going to take a hundred dollars and you're going to give it to 10 random people, $10 to 10 random people. And I thought, hang on, I don't have $100. Nope, not going to do this. And he said, is that what your heart is telling you? Or is that what fear is telling you? And stopping and pausing and thinking, I know the power of giving money away. I've experienced it before. It feels so terrifying right now because I have a freaking zero balance. And I thought, well, I'm going to do the unthinkable. My scientific brain, I just put it on pause and I thought, I'm just going to be open. I kid you not, like two and a half hours later, I go to check the mail and there is a $100 check in the mail. I'm like, no flipping way did I just get a hundred bucks. Holy cow. I was like, all right, this is proof positive. Cashed it into $10 bills and I started giving it out like the guy behind me at the grocery store. I was at, this was around the holidays. I gave it to somebody I met at the hall. I mean, I just was like, I'm going to trust the process. 
And this was like on a Wednesday. And then that same Wednesday, I got the check and I started distributing it. Friday was the holiday party. And then Monday, I got a call from an existing client saying, we have a brand new project. And the budget on it is about, I think it was between three and $4,000. And I was like, what? No problem. I got this. I got this. I was open. I trusted the process. I wish my, the science part of me really, the science brain wants to know why that works, but I'll be damned if it doesn't work. But it took practice of being vulnerable, going, mm, I don't know why this is going to work, but I trust my mentor implicitly. He says it's going to work and I'll be damned if it didn't work. It worked beautifully. The power of belief. Yeah. And, and practicing that over and over again of, of taking the step, knowing that the step feels right, but not knowing where the step is leading. Yeah. So when, when does it become easier? Well, when, when does anything become easier as you're practicing it, right? Mm -hmm. First time you used a spoon, it was really hard and you end up, you ended up with baby food in your eye and in your ear and all over the floor and whatever. The first time you drove a car, you were terrified. You were scared shitless. Actually, that was my mom who was scared shitless, screaming in the background with her head under a pillow. <laughs> that <laughs> I was that bold, empowered Enneagram 8 teenager. There we go. <laughs> but I completely agree that these sometimes there's that that it, it, it comes from that practice and from that curiosity as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, having two children and being able to witness that curious growth yeah. rather than our like older perceived wiser sort of plagiarized <laughs> programming of like no i know how this goes no watch a baby learn and you will learn so much yeah. Yeah. because they learn through curiosity through practice mm -hmm. through failure but they don't identify with the failure they don't make that failure those mistakes part of their identity what did I learn from doing that? Okay, that didn't that didn't have the desired outcome. Well, let's try something different. Or yeah. let's try it again and see if the outcome is the same. I mean, it's it's adopting that childlike mindset. I know in Buddhism that that's the goal is not to be childish but childlike. And that incorporates being vulnerable and being curious and being grateful. Somebody hands you a sucker and you're like, oh, that made my day. <laughs> it's celebrating the small things as well as um, putting that enthusiasm and that love towards the future is what would I like to create? How might I create a future that gets me that excited? I think that with curiosity also puts people in the space of the requirement almost of, of needing to be vulnerable to not knowing the answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's as an Enneagram 8 myself. Vulnerability is the thing that is is still hard. It's still hard. And I cringe and I go, hmm, that I'm cringing because that's vulnerability, I feel. And that means that's my path of growth. That for me specifically, that is my path to growth. So I recognize that I'm conscious of it and I lean into it. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable as hell. It really is. <laughs> say that it gets easier. It, it has gotten easier to recognize but has it actually gotten easier to lean into it? No, I just do it anyway. My husband and I were moving into a third floor apartment and we were exhausted. We've been driving for like five hours. 
and we're there's no elevator and we're carrying boxes up and I'm looking up at the stairs going, oh my God, how am I going to? He says, honey, don't think about it. Just do it. I'm like, what? Don't think about it. Just put the body on autopilot. Don't think about it. Just do it. Okay. So when vulnerability comes up and I feel that cringe, oh, okay. Don't think about it. Just do it. <laughs> I mean, Nike, speaking of like design, Nike coined that saying, yeah. and yet it's so... Apropos, I remember running my first marathon back in 2011, and I was so inspired by the t-shirts of the backs of all the other runners because there were there were slogans that would just like kept pushing me through of like, just do it. Just do it. That was one of them. And then, you know, pain is temporary. Pride is forever. <laughs> that was another one. But just recognizing that when you get into the discipline and the practice of doing the dang thing yeah it's gonna be done but sometimes it you gotta you gotta stop the brain from doing the thinking thing yeah well the brain conserves energy it's gonna do the thing you've always done it will default to the thing you have been doing and if the thing you have been doing isn't the thing that you want then it's gonna take more energy to change it than to do the thing you've always been doing that's that's physics you know that is your neurophysics in action and I was talking to uh, Dr. J.J. Kennedy, who is a behavioral neurophysicist in South Africa, and I was asking him if the thought comes first to change the neurophysics of the brain and then that that directs the behavior, or if you do a behavior thing first, which changes the brain, which changes the thought. And he said, yes. Chicken or the egg. Yes, exactly. That our brain's neuroplasticity is such that if we're doing something, then we're changing our neurophysics, our 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 brain itself is being wired differently. If we think different things, it's the same thing. And, and why not approach both? So if there's something that you want to change in your life, then you plant the thought and you start the behavior. And they're both going to support the change you wish to see, the change you wish to be, the thing you wish to manifest, to use some woo language there. It's it's all based in science. It's like the, the recipe for magic, but it's all based in science. Yeah. And I love the fact that you back, you back, you like to back the magic with science as well. Cause both, yeah, cause same here. And it's, it's sometimes it takes a, a while for science to catch up with ancient spiritual principles, but we, they used to call it all magic. They didn't yeah. understand it. We may not have the language for it, but it's all the same stuff. Yeah. So how does vulnerability play into manifestation? Mm. Well, first of all, human connection can only happen when you're vulnerable. You can't show up in a room and think, I know everything there is to know. I am the best person in the room. I, there is nothing that is out of place and expect to connect with any other human beings in the room. But if you show up and think, what do I have to learn from these people? Let's see, I know my hair isn't just so, I, you know, I'm not wearing any makeup. Um, these people look like they might make more money than me or whatever. You're showing up and just being you, being vulnerable and saying, hi, you know, what, what are you here for? And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to meet blah, 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 or I'm hoping to accomplish. And it's putting down the wall and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Through that vulnerability, then you can access your own courage because if you have nothing at stake, you, there, there's no reason for you to be brave. Courage can only be accessed through vulnerability, even if it's only being vulnerable to ourselves. 
admitting ourselves as to ourselves that you know we aren't perfect we aren't we don't have all the answers we're not there yet so all of those things together then play a role in your success in your growth in your in how you move in the world um yeah i think the pieces with like with vulnerability courage is intimately tied and you said something very apparent and very prevalent that i know my audience definitely resonates with is that courage to not know the answer yeah and i know that so often we love to know the answer but the belief that we know the answer of what is to come is an illusion or a repetition of what's happened in the past and if we don't like what's happened in the past yeah then you don't know the answer you don't want to know the answer yeah and so often i don't know how many times that i showed up thinking well i know what's going on i you know oh i don't need these people i know i know what's going on showing up as an eight hole and i gained nothing nothing from the experience nothing from the people around me and and they gained nothing from me i completely walled up and it never it never serves us as human beings to be so arrogant and closed up like being vulnerable is being open I, i'm like open up the barn doors let it all out let your freak flag fly we are all freaks we are all afraid we are all struggling in our own ways and they're all like everyone is in this storm but we're all in our own boats and some people's boats are leaking some people's boats have yachts they may not have engines but they have yachts and some people have sail sailboats and their sails need mending and everyone is in their own story and everyone is struggling in their own way but we're all in this shit storm together and nobody gets out alive mm-hmm. why not be vulnerable why not reach out and help somebody and my friend terry trispicio she she expounds on this in her book called um unfollow your passion fabulous read i thoroughly recommend it that expanding our comfort zone is the goal and not getting out of our comfort zone because the research shows that when you are completely uncomfortable that you are in fight or flight that you are completely shut off from your prefrontal cortex you're shut off from the smartest part of your brain you're in survival mode and you gain nothing but if you stretch it and you push the edges of your comfort zone just a little and i'll give you an example as if you the very first time you decided to drive a car what if you were 10 years old and somebody just handed you the keys and said here to go drive you'd be terrified but if someone said okay i know you're only 10 years old but here's how it works here's the steering wheel here's the blinkers here's the gas here's the brake here's the gears and and gently coaxed you into it by age 11 you'd be a proficient driver the same thing goes with your comfort zone you don't want to just abandon it completely and you know i'm just going to jump out of a plane with no training i'm going to learn about this i'm going to practice it first i'm going to stretch my comfort zone until it includes this thing that i want to do or this thing that i want to accomplish and you'll get much better results the idea that we have to know what we're doing is of course false as we're trying new things and the idea that we have to get it right the first time is so unhelpful idea that it has to be perfect or whatever where do you think that's learned oh that's our environment that's our entire society and it's it's how do we unlearn that well it's exacerbated from social media we think oh we're comparing somebody else's end to our middle 
Exactly. I, I love that. I, I always, um, when I first started my business and I was comparing myself of like seeing how farther along people were who started at the same time as me, I had first had to remind myself that they didn't have children and I had a baby, an infant. Um, but then looking at, I always encourage my clients to do what I did and scroll back. Like, if you're really stuck in the comparison and looking at somebody's graphics at where they are now in their multi-million dollar business and thinking, oh, I need to have that level of like scroll back to when they didn't have a graphic designer and they didn't have a copywriter and look at the quality of the work that they're putting out. And I guarantee you it's probably something around what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only person you're allowed to compare yourself to is you, mm -hmm. the previous versions of you. And I, I'd love to do this thought experiment with my with people in general is, you know, we we're we're on this mountain, we're climbing up and and some days, you know, the thing that you want, the top of that peak is shrouded in clouds and we'll never get there. And there's cliffs and my God, is that growling? Is that some mountain lion? Oh my God, or is that a bear? And we forget to turn around and look behind us. And we we forget that when you turn around and you look at everything that you have not only accomplished, everything that you've survived, everything you've overcome. And there are times when you stopped and rested in the valleys behind you and you refocused. And there was a time you were way the hell back there and you were only dreaming about being where you are now. But when you got to where you are now, did you stop and celebrate? Or did you just think, I got to do this and I got to do this and I got I to gotta keep going, I got to keep... For fuck's sake, stop and rest every once in a while and look behind you and celebrate that shit. Celebrate how far you've come. Celebrate every major milestone that you reached for and got. And celebrate the person you used to be and that you have become now. And by just, just that perspective, as you turn around and face the mountain again, you're going to know that you're not going to get there in one big leap that it's going to be a wandering path, just like it was to get to where you are now, that you're going to have obstacles, but there are valleys for you to stop and rest and refocus. And all of that is, is taken at a pace that you get to decide. It's not anything that anyone else can dictate. So when you stop and stop comparing other people climbing up their own mountains and only compare yourself to where you used to be and who you used to be, then you get a better sense of who you are where you are and how you are in the world. You can embrace your vulnerability. You can understand that you're not the person you used to be and you're not the person you're going to become, but it, you're here now. And the more time you spend in the present and the less time you spend dwelling on all the mistakes you made in the past and all the things you haven't done in the future, the clearer your path becomes, the more joy you'll have in the world the more joyful you'll be in the world. And studies show that, that happier people, joyful people are more successful over the course of their careers. They make more money over the course of their careers. They're healthier and they live up to 10 years longer. So why not just choose to be happier, right? It's a mindset and it's, and it's a little shifts. It's day to day. It's moment to moment. It's not you know, earth shattering, it's stretching that comfort zone a little bit. How might I be happier today? How might I be happier in this moment? What thoughts are my experiencing right now that aren't serving me that I can shift and spend just a little bit that lets me operate from a base of love or, or a growth mindset or a, a abundance mindset? 
so powerful because I think that the biggest thing is it's our power to choose and to just choose joy. And that's, that's something that I, that I have consciously now unconsciously do is when I'm in a moment of like, okay, I'm doing this thing or I'm going to work a little late. I'm going to wake up a little earlier and do this thing. And I'm like, I'm choosing to do this with joy. I'm choosing to do this with joy because I can choose to do this and be miserable and like dread it and hate it. Or I'm going to choose to do this with joy. And that will always serve you. Yeah. And I think that that's something that for me, I've really been realizing as I've been on this 75 hard journey of doing um, twice a day workouts and seeing as I'm like, okay, I'm on my second workout of the day. I'm choosing to do this joy. My legs are slightly dying. Um, but just just recognizing that 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 joy is a choice and it's in our power of accepting like mm-hmm. the circumstances, but also accepting that we also have the power to choose how we respond to that. Oh, absolutely. That's the only thing in our power is mm-hmm. how we respond to life, to whatever. We can't we can't control how anybody else thinks or what anybody else does. We can control how we operate in the world and how we respond to any given stimuli. As a matter of fact, there's a, I finally found the measurement after years of looking. There is one fifth of a second between something happening to us and us responding. Mm. And it doesn't sound like much, but our brain operates almost at the speed of light. So one fifth of a second, 0.2 seconds, plenty of time. And I'll give you a good example. I was in a car accident when I was 19 and I was at a four-way stop. And I was looking to my right and the car, he was looking down, doing something, I don't know, car problems, looking at a map, I, who knows? And he signaled me on and I was like, oh, finally. And I zoomed into the intersection, not looking to my left. And there was an older woman in a very old, very big metal car. And I was in a little tiny Honda Accord and we crashed. And in that split second, after my head hit the, the door frame on the left and I bounced off my mom in the passenger seat on the right, I thought, God damn it, I only had one car payment left. And I decided in that moment to be mad. I decided to be angry. And this, this woman was hanging on to her independence by the skin of her teeth. She got out and she was in a walker and she could not lift her feet up. She was shuffling her feet. And I almost cost this woman her independence because I got so angry and the police came and I was, it, it, I was ugly at the time. I was, you know, yelling at the woman, turn your damn car off. Blah, blah, blah. And I was knocking on people's doors, trying, cause that was before cell phones, trying to get somebody to call the police. And, and I was so mad that I would knock and I would wait <laughs> two seconds and go to the next house. I wouldn't wait for them to answer. When the police finally got there, this policewoman said, you know, if anybody would be given a ticket, it's you because she was further out in the intersection than you were. And I was like, oh, shit. I chose to be angry. And I feel like life handed me a lesson right then. And it took me years after that before I recognized, oh, that's what happened. Your mood does not determine your reaction. Your reaction determines your mood. And in that split second, I, my mood, I decided would be pissed off. So we all have that opportunity to choose how we're going to respond to any given stimuli. How are you going to choose? And, and if you, if you're working on inner work ahead of time 
and you know you want to be a less angry, less uptight person, choose ahead of time. I am, I am a more calm person. So that when that comes up, your brain is used to thinking that already. You've practiced that line of thinking already. And maybe that'll be your new default is, mm, I'm not going to let this get the best of me this time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to choose to respond a little differently because that's the only thing in my control is how I respond. Yeah. And so how do we do the dance? Because a feeling is a biological response that scientifically lasts for 90 seconds. And so we have that feeling and it wells up and it's that surge of 90 seconds. And the choice is to either hold on or release it or let it go or process it or hold on and then have that feeling turn into a mood and a state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where do we do the dance between the choice and the biological response? Well, it's noticing as like, say you're in a car accident. It's, you know, you're noticing, wow, I, you know, I just hit my head up against the door frame that hurt. And there's a 17 year old girl driving and you know, she just T-boned me, which happened a block from my house. You can't change what you don't notice. Right. And so are you already in the practice of noticing your thoughts? Do you spend time daily gazing inward, looking at observing and not absorbing your thoughts? And the more you can do this, the better you get at it, the more you can be the designer of your life instead of the passenger who's along for the ride in this meat puppet you inhabit. Uh, I've never heard it called a meat puppet. (laughs) I've heard meat snack, but meat puppet, I think is just epic. I, I like to think of our bodies as like a really nice rental unit. It is. Yeah. And how, how do you choose to take care of your rental unit? Yeah. Like a nice Airbnb. Yeah. And you ultimately are in control of your thoughts. And your thoughts drive the emotions. The emotions drive the behavior. The behavior creates your reality. Right? So... If you can back that up to the you that is observing the thoughts, the you that is creating the behavior, who is it that you are? Who is it that you want to become? When when you think about that mountaintop that you're trying to climb to, who is going to be standing up there? What if you spent three to five minutes a day occupying the emotions of that future self, occupying the emotions of that successful fulfilled, satisfied person. Studies show that if you can do that three to five minutes a day, that you get there faster. That you recognize the the emotional breadcrumb trail that leads you down the path that gets you up that mountain. But if you think, I'm going to become a doctor, come hell or high, I'm going to become a doctor. Well, what if that's down, down a different path completely and you've been aiming this, you know, aiming up at the mountain, but then down this path and you're divided attentions and you're probably not going to get anywhere. If you know how you're going to feel, how you want to feel as a doctor or as a business owner, or as an entrepreneur, or whatever, how is it that you want to feel when you've quote unquote made it? Can you imagine, and you can, because we're all human, we have vivid imaginations. Can you imagine what it feels like to be that person? What needs to change between who you are now and that person? Is it more positive thinking? Is it more generous thinking? More vulnerable thinking? More vulnerable behavior? 
Who is it that you need to become and what's in the way? As you start to observe these thoughts and uh, behavioral patterns, then you can start changing them, but you cannot change what you cannot see. So, so observing and not absorbing. I love that. And also looking at that, that path of detaching from the form and reawakening the feeling. Mm-hmm. And I just recently had a very um, personal example because we, last year I subscribed and I, I love James Wedmore and I um, joined his course on like all, all launches. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do some, you know, big ass launches. And I just realized that launching is not at this point in my journey, nor has it ever really been a part of my success strategy in that that form of the launching, the the presupposed scarcity. And so from that failed launch of being able to see that a program that I was so excited about had great responses from our initial founding students, but that I'd tried launching multiple times. I'm like, it's not like, what what's up? And then I real, it allowed me to detach of like, well, what is it really that I want from the business? And that's what ended up becoming both the agency that we've now developed for guest podcasting and the AI platform that I, I shared with you about mm-hmm. um, that we're building and that startup. Because that was me detaching from the fact that I had this perception of like, this is how I'm going to be the business owner that I am. And I'm like, actually, and actually, the beautiful part about that is that I realized, thanks to Mercury in retrograde, which always gives us some beautiful retrospectives, that as a child, like I always used to think that my job was transforming people's stories. And that is, that's kind of, that's Mm -hmm. what I love to do as a coach that's what i've done in all of my businesses and really sharing and presenting those stories Mm -hmm. but i forgot the piece of sharing and presenting and leading a team that i'm like really skilled at doing that i've done since a childhood that i never gave myself credit for i always thought oh i'm the the creator of these stories rather than like i'm also the director and the producer and realizing how to translate that skill set into launching an agency in a way that actually feels like a launch that aligns with me rather than being saying this is how i'm going to be launching with this formula and detaching from that outcome and allowing for that curiosity of who is that person at your core who you've always been Mm -hmm. before before the plagiarized programming Mm -hmm. of of others and of who people have wanted you to be Yeah. You recognize that you weren't the hero. You were the guide. Mm -hmm. You are the Yoda to all the Luke Skywalkers in the world. As coaches, especially that is our role is to help people, businesses, business owners become the hero of their own story. We are holding up the mirror, helping them see what we see so that then they can understand what it is we see and maybe envision a different, better more authentic future for themselves Mm -hmm. and and i use that i like i love the metaphor of being the yoda because with when you share your story on podcasts or anything it's being that guide if you're if the audience sees you as the luke skywalker yeah they may be cheering for you but they aren't going to be buying from you (laughs) because they don't need you're you're where they're at yeah they don't need you they, it's our job to show like 
this is the destination of the path you're currently on, and it sounds like you don't want to go there, this is the consequences of staying on that path, but here's a new path, and here's some tools that you can use on this new path, and it sounds like this is the future that you want to envision. Here are some things to watch for. Here are some tools to help you get there. Who is it that you need to become to end up there? Yeah, that's part of what I love about coaching is I'm, I'm not the hero, and nor do I have to have all the answers. All I have to do is polish my mirror and hold it up so that people can see what I see. Mirror, mirror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that book. That was a great book. Mm -hmm. So looking at holding up that mirror, what is a strategy or a system that you've used of reflection that really has helped and served your clients to see themselves through that process? Mm. Well, that mountaintop exercise that, that I just talked about is very powerful. I would say about half the time people end up in tears as they're looking mm -hmm. back behind them. And tears for me means a, a core truth has been touched and the healing has begun. But then also understanding that I don't have the answers that they do. That, you know, you as the, as the journeyer, the one who's on the journey, you have the answers, you have the destination, you have in mind, or at least deep buried in your heart or your soul, whatever, who it is that you want to become. It's not my job to tell you who you want to become or who you need to become or to should you. I'm going to should anything, but to ask questions and help you find out who it is that you want to become, help you see the things that I see that other people see and um, help you get there. Hmm. I know you and I are both Enneagram eights. And it's uh, known as the, uh, you, you told, taught me the, the phrase of the eight hole, which mm. I certainly have been from time to time in my life <laughs> and owning that. And that vulnerability is that asset of the eights instead of going for the achievement, which is very ego based. So looking at that for the other Enneagram eights out there. What is the best way that you have navigated your journey to accepting and embracing that, that challenger in you? Mm. You know, I, I have a funny story. I was at a conference, design conference, and they were going through the results of the predictive index that they had everybody take ahead of time. And it's a, a test that the U.S. government uses to place people, how they are motivated. Mm. And there's A's, B's, C's, and D's. So A's high, if you score high in A, that means you're self-motivated. Low A means you need to be micromanaged. B's are motivated by positive feedback. Like give me the carrot, give me the reward. Commission sales who are motivated by positive feedback, they work great. Or actors or comedians that applause, they, they thrive for it. C's are process oriented. Like tell me step one, step two, step three, if you're high in C. And then high D's are what's been done in the past. What's the dress code? What's the, what's the expectations? What, what's the box I need to be in? And um, John Randoletta, the guy who was running the course, he went through all these different scenarios except mine. And so I finally, I raised my hand and I said, Mr. Randoletta, that my results aren't anything like what you've talked about so far. He said, what are yours? I said, highest A, 99 for self-motivated middle of the road for 
positive feedback, middle of the road for process oriented and minus 88 for how much I cared about other people's rules. And he said, oh, you're what we call a pain in the ass to manage. I said, oh, I beg your pardon, I am not, I'm nice. <laughs> I mean, there's a room full of 200 people and they're all laughing at me. I was mortified. And he said, well, think about it. How would you motivate you? You're only motivated by what goes on in your head and you don't care about other people's rules. How would you manage you? I was like, yeah, but, but, and he said, let me guess, you've had a string of really bad managers, haven't you? And I went, well, yes, as a matter of fact, oh, shit. <laughs> it's me, isn't it? He said, how would you manage you? He said, your gifts are you're a challenger and you're self-motivated. That means you will forge a new path. You will find a better way to do things. Not because, you know, you want things done your way necessarily, but because you know there's got to be a better way. You're a natural problem solver. You're a natural challenger. It's like, oh my God. And once I understood that about myself, and this was before I knew anything about Enneagrams, I could explain to somebody, don't tell me how to get there. Tell me what the goals of the company or my department or this project, tell me what the goal of that is, and I will find us all a better way to get there. If the goal is to increase membership, okay, then then let's find a new way of doing that, not do the old same thing we've been doing all along, because that makes me crazy. <laughs> and, and as an eight, recognizing that disruption and challenging is my gift. It's when I didn't know how to value it. It was my curse. There's a great book by Sally Hogshead called, her first book was called Fascinate. I think the second one was How the World Sees You. And it's how, how you are helps you explain your value and, and display your value and demonstrate your value to the world. So that whole idea of, yeah, I'm going to challenge things. And it's not because I'm a diva and not because I want things done my way, although I do like things done my way. It's because there's got to be a better way. There has mm -hmm. to be a better way. We're the disruptors of the group. And I, having worked with a lot of disruptors, so as a, as a coach, sometimes you get those reflections. Looking at one of the most common questions that I've had from many of my clients is that the people around them in their workspace, their partners, their employees are like, I don't know what it is. They don't understand that visionary role of the organization. Mm -hmm. And the difference between that visionary role, that disruptor, that challenger, that relationship builder versus the worker bee, the, the doer, the implementer, the integrator, the operations, you know, mm -hmm. get, get in and get it done versus that visionary. And, and the world, quite frankly, isn't really trained to see that. Especially in women. Especially in women. And because, especially because of our, the, the system and society and environment that is trained, has trained most of society to be the worker bees, the doers. And so when we see that disruptor, the visionary, the person with the ideas who doesn't look like they're doing much, mm -hmm. <laughs> it can be quite disrupting. Yes. And that's okay. In the triangle of behavior, the, the victim, the hero, and the perpetrator, also known as the asshole, 
the, the corner that the perpetrator sits in or the challenger sits in is the only corner with an exit door. And so as the challenger, you need to be okay with people thinking you're the asshole, even if you're not. If your goals have been you know, shared, if your vision has been shared, if you can adequately paint the picture of after and get everyone's buy-in, you'll find that it's much easier to be the disruptor, the challenger. Mm. What does that after picture look like? And and everyone and in that same in that same workshop where where Mr. Ranaletta said that I was a pain in the ass to manage, we did an experiment. We put all the high A's together, all the high B's together, all the high C's and all the high D's in their own groups. And he said, All right, your job is to plan a party. And the A's were like, oh, it's gonna be great, and people are gonna be so comfortable. And the B's were, we're gonna have music and we're gonna have, you know all these little things and then the c's were well first we're going to get a guest list together and then we're going to we're going to plan out the theme and then and all these you know process things and the d's were what have been some successful parties in the past and blah 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 and he said did you notice that what you all defaulted to he said the best teams have an a a b a c and a d all working together someone's got the big idea someone loves working with the details somebody knows um, what kind of ambiance to make you feel and somebody will will do the historical research and together you will have one hell of a party. So as a challenger, who can you enlist to be the one who man, who handles the details? Who can you enlist to to track the progress, to create the roadmap of what's next and then what's next and then what's next and and realizing that you are best utilized on a team of people with divergent skills rather than everybody doing the same thing, everybody being the worker bee. And you get a, uh, having that diversity. I mean, because a lot of times we think of diversity as just gender or racial racial diversity, but really it's diversity of thought. Yeah. I had, I had one client who we looked at his team with a, a different personality test using the bank personality system of, of values-based and how you get people's values-based buy-in. And... He was wondering, like, why do I need to have these long, drawn out conversations with each one of my employees? Like they desire these like really in-depth, like they want to feel significant. And I looked at all their quotes. I'm like, dude, you hired all nurturers. Like there's no (laughs) diversity of the person who's just going to like take what you want, implement it, put it into a process. And like, they don't need a conversation. They just, they just need the rules. <laughs> like, but if you hire, it's, it's that diversity of, of culture that actually makes a very rich, wonderful party work environment culture and yeah. honoring the diversity of perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And allowing, uh, holding space for those people holding space for those who think differently than you do. A friend of mine, Stefan Muma, has written the books, Caffeine for the Creative Mind, Caffeine for the Creative Team, Creative Bootcamp, all these creativity boosting um, books. And and he says, you know, it's, if you're going to brainstorm, first of all, there's no editing. And it has to be, yes, and. Like invite, invite the receptionist, invite the lady from the mailroom, invite the the guy from IT, invite everyone, because those people are going to have the most novel and different ideas than anybody else. They're not going to know what's been done before. Here's, here's the parameters. 
and what can be done. And then the more constraints you have on that, the more con- more creative you have to be. He's got this great exercise where he says, all right, team up with three people and create a baby carriage. He's like, the best baby carriage known to mankind and go. And people are like, well, and he's like, all right, constraint number one, about a minute in. Constraint number one, it can't have wheels. And then like another two or three minutes. Constraint number two, it has to hold a full-size adult. Constraint number three, and and he goes on and he just, and, and because of those constraints, people are forced to get more and more creative. But the more diverse and divergent your team thinking is, the more creative ideas you can come up with. I mean, you've never heard of baby carriages like this before. It's just amazing. Or baby strollers, just amazing. And he said, that's, that's how you do it. You put a time limit on it. You put constraints on it and you get a divergent team together and you've got a recipe for amazing things. Cammie, you are just the the queen of of creativity. And I, I love how your mind works and how all of these pieces that you've brought together to this podcast. And so I would love to dive in to a little bit of rapid fire. Let's go. Ready. Let's go. Who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Hermione Granger. She's a badass, but doesn't require the spotlight. And she's in it to support her friends. Mm. She's based in love. Yeah. What woman alive or alive in her timeline, not necessarily presently alive, uh, would you want to switch places with to be in her body and see how she thought just for one day? Whoa. It, when when given those those thought experiments of who would you want to be in the past, I always think I don't want to be any woman in the past because there were so many limitations of that experience of being female in the past. Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> she was a woman in power who is respected, who who had her head on straight, who influenced who influenced a lot of things. Awesome. Two what answers? <laughs> There's so many answers. Like I've had Joan of Arc. Um, I'm like, oh, to be in her head. <laughs> that's a that's a lot of voices happening. <laughs> no, or or to find out that she was com- either completely mad or completely sane would be heartbreaking. Mm. Yeah, no. and I I would I would definitely choose the day as as well, like not being on the day of execution. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe being on the day of like leading into battle. But like... yeah. <laughs> so if you were to look at your success that you've had, what would you do differently if you were to have your success at twice the speed? I would have hired a coach in my 20s instead of my 40s. Oh, my God, that would have saved me so much time and so much heartache and, and so much banging my head against the wall. Oh, my God. Yeah, hiring a coach was the most brilliant thing I have ever done. I hired two different coaches, a business coach and a life coach. And I tell you what, they got me the hell out of my own way. And I it took it until my 40s. And had I started in my 20s, oh, I would have I would have saved myself decades and thousands and thousands of of dollars and tears and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same here. <laughs> What is your morning routine? Oh, my morning routine? 
Uh, I wake up usually about 7.15 naturally without an alarm clock because I hate alarm clocks. I pee, of course. And I then I go downstairs and I have two scrambled eggs, two pieces of toast, and either a glass of iced tea or a cup of chai. And I greet the morning. When I was in the fifth grade, my mother had a desk mat for me. And on it, it said, greet the morning, love the day, and do much that is beautiful. Rebecca Thomas Shaw. And I still remember because every time I sat down to do anything at that desk, I would read that and go, yeah, yeah. So I greet the morning. In that time between awake and asleep when your brain is in theta, I set my intention for the day, which is, it's something that goes along the lines of everything is always working out for me. Recently, it's been everything I need is racing towards me as I need it. And that's my intention. That's my mantra for the day. And then I get up and start my day. What's your evening routine to set you up for an epic morning? Oh, my evening routine is I kiss my husband. I open a book. He drifts off to sleep and I read. That's my signal to my body that it's bedtime. And I like right now I'm reading Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And I'm also reading a fiction book, but it's not very good. So I won't even mention the title. <laughs> but it puts me to sleep. So it does its job. <laughs> what would you define to be your kingdom? My kingdom. My mm -hmm. five foot radius that I am the center of. That's my kingdom. And how do you crown yourself? Mm, with self-love every day. Biggest most beautiful, intricate, delicate, strong, big ass crown. And it fits over my entire body. And it radiates light. Cammie, mm. where do we find you? How do we work with you? How do we get more of all that is you and all the Yoda wisdom that you have to share and guide with? <laughs> Well, the easiest place is my website, and it's so easy to remember. It's my name, Cami, C-A-M-I, dot coach. Super simple. And on there, you'll you'll find information about my Foundations of Inner Work 12-week course. You'll find information on my podcast, Deep Dive Coaching for Creatives, any upcoming events that I have. I've got some free downloads there specifically for freelancers. I have a recommended reading list. I have a blog. There's all kinds of things there. So my website, cami.coach. Awesome. Cami, it has been a pleasure chatting with you again and just being able to see you week after week for these past few weeks as we've met and podcast swapped and, and all the things. But that's like, I, I just want to to end on a note that this is the power of building relationships in your business and to the expansion that is possible and cami is a true testimony for what she preaches and is a living breathing example and a fabulous power connector of just the revolutionary act of connecting one human to another and she does that epically well and so i encourage you to learn from this episode go to her website listen to her podcast. I was just recently a guest on it. And she has some epic episodes that will be of supreme benefit to your transformation and to your creativity. 
So as always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business, because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and start creating a bigger impact now by sharing this with a friend. Just by doing that one simple act of kindness, you are creating a royal ripple to support more people in their sovereignty. And if you're not already following on social media, connect with me everywhere at crownyourself.now for more inspiration. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules. Because today, you crown yourself.